0: All Leaf fans want Anderson back for playoffs. And if you don't, and you're that hyped up about Jack Campbell, I think you're gonna be disappointed, I hate to tell you.
1: Welcome back to episode 11 of The Fanalists. We've taken a few weeks off. But in that time, sports has kept going, so we got lots to talk about. We're gonna go over our picks for the NBA MVP race. It's a really tight race going on right now. There's a lot of guys that have the chance to win that MVP award, but Brett and I are gonna give you our number one picks. And then we're gonna dive into the NHL, and we'll go over what we thought about how all of the Northern GMs handled the trade deadline. And then we're going to dive in a little bit deeper to Calgary, Vancouver, and Ottawa because we're starting to see a real divide between the top four teams in the North and the bottom three. So we're going to talk about why fans of those bottom three teams should either be not so worried or a little bit stressed out about the direction of their teams right now. So we'll get into that a little bit later but for now why don't we start off the show with our NBA MVP race picks.
0: So I was actually pretty excited to do this. I uh, I haven't been locked in on the NBA for as long as I've been locked in on hockey growing up. Uh, obviously the Raptors kind of made basketball a lot bigger in Canada recently so a lot more fans are coming up and and it kind of sucked me in. So who do you have for your MVP? Or what are your real thoughts on the whole breakdown of this year?
1: So I think it's a tight race this year. Tighter than we've seen in a few other years. Because a lot of other years, or at least the past couple years, Giannis has almost just been a lock to be the MVP. And he's still in the race. Like I'd, I'd say he's probably, in in my mind, he's up there. But he's not quite... I don't think he's going to win it this year, but then there's other guys that are making a push. You've got Embiid that he just came out yesterday and said that he's going to be the MVP and he thinks that he's a lock. You have James Harden who came out and said that he's going to be the MVP. Um, and you look at these guys' stats and they might be right. Uh, now I don't think James Harden is. I think that he's just arrogant and full of himself. Um
0: I think the injury kind of probably ended that discussion. Yeah,
1: I agree with that too. Yeah, as soon as that happened, he was out of the race. Embiid is definitely still in the race though. His numbers have been unreal but the guy that I pick as my number one is Jokic from the Nuggets. This guy has been has had a career, career year this year. Every one of his stats is up from the rest of his career, except for his personal fouls. His personal fouls are down. So this guy has literally improved his game on every single level this year, and he's really pulled this Nuggets team along with him. So, and the Nuggets, as of a couple of days ago, when I wrote down all the stats that I wrote down, were fourth in the West, and they're only 5.5 games back, from the Jazz in first. And when I look at that team, I don't really know many of the names on the team. Like, you talk about the idea of a super team in the NBA where you have all these recognizable names and all this recognizable talent. That team has Jokic, and in Canada, you would probably recognize Jamal Murray. Obviously, he's out now, but um, they don't have a team of world beaters like like the Nets would have, and yet with Jokic, they're still making a push for being a major contender in the playoffs this year. And when you look at Jokic's game, he leads the NBA in double-doubles, which he has 50 in 56 games, when I wrote these stats down, and leads the NBA, or sorry, doesn't lead the NBA, but... And has 16 triple-doubles, most of which have come in the latter half of the season since the All-Star break. The Nuggets have a win-loss of 25-7 and since the All-Star break. And that has been hugely because Jokic has carried this team on his back. And I think that's when you look at most valuable player, you're looking at which player brings the most value to his club and his team, and in my mind, that's Jokic. He's the
0: guy pushing this team forward. So, like, well, the big thing for me when you get to watch him play is that, like, for a guy his size, he can do just about everything on the court. Like, he's not scared to step out and take a three-pointer. He doesn't just use his size to to dominate other players. Like, he, he can actually play basketball, where you've seen a lot of guys who just have a ton of athleticism, you know, and they they can kind of fly over dudes and, and make crazy layups and get a ton of rebounds, where, like, Yogi seems to actually have that high-level basketball IQ. He plays basketball at at a high level, and he understands basketball at a high level.
2: Well, yeah,
1: and for, for being a center, it's – Unreal that he's still shooting, forty three percent from the three point line. Like I, I, yeah, that that's just not something that you think of when you think about centers, right? Like,
0: and it, like even though it's becoming more of a thing over the past couple of years, he's really he's really incorporated that into his game and made it made it successful. You see a lot of centers take three pointers in order to make uh, people have to guard them, but. If you don't guard him, he's making the three pointer, and he's not the easiest to guard, being the size of a center. So like that's just something you got to take into account. Is just the pure athleticism and and basketball IQ of this guy.
1: Yeah, I think what's what's really going to come down to, and like most of what I've read, they've all like most analysts have Jokic as number one right now. But what it's going to come down to this season is whether He can continue to carry this team without Jamal Murray. Now that he's out, if this team takes a step back, then that really hurts his chances, I think. But if they continue to plow forward and he just picks up the slack, I think he's a
0: lock for that MVP slot. Yeah, so in the same argument, I'm going to end up telling you in a little bit that I'm going to take Giannis as my MVP. And one of my big things for that is like, their team still hasn't gotten that much better. They they add Drew Holiday, but the team he doesn't. That's not another real, true superstar, high-level talent. And that's the same argument I would make for Yoch, it's on your side is that he doesn't really have a cast around him that makes you think that team is going to be incredibly successful. Jamal Murray's a great player, but obviously he's not playing right now. And that's what, to me, what makes a guy an MVP is that he literally makes his team relevant. Like, uh, it's really hard for me to say another guy's an MVP on a team that's loaded with superstars. And you can say that about any sport. If you are one single player and you make your team relevant, you're the MVP.
1: Yeah, that's true. And, And Giannis definitely does that. But he's done that for the past three years. I wonder if there's voter fatigue with him and that the people voting for the MVP award will say, well, yeah, your stats are still MVP quality, but so are this guy. So we're going to vote him over you because you've been there, done that.
0: Yeah. And I think we've seen that before. Like LeBron has been second in MVP voting more than anybody in the the entire uh, history of the NBA. And I think that's something that definitely happens. The only thing I would say that makes this year different is I think there's so many sports going on right now and, and so many different draws that maybe it'll be similar to a Patrice Bergeron Selkie situation where it's like, you know what, I'm going to write down Giannis because I didn't really get to watch it as much this year. or I wasn't able to be as engaged this year. And I know that that guy is an MVP caliber player every year shooting percentage actually has improved this year which which a lot of people say that you know he's not really playing basketball he's just a a freak athlete who can drive the ball to the to the rim and get rebounds he's not you know a cerebral player but to me that really just shows how on the next level his other skills are like his ability to be so athletic at his size and and do some of the things he's able to do and the strength he's able to do them with, he, he doesn't need a three-pointer to win the MVP. Like, I, I'm sure he'd like to have one, but right now you can make a case that he doesn't have that ability. And he still manages to put himself in the MVP conversation. And he's really kind of – I'm not going to say he's a one-dimensional player, but he's nowhere near as rounded as a lot of other MVP candidates. Like, yo, know, to, to you were saying earlier, we were talking about how he can do everything. There's something interesting to me about the fact that Giannis can literally not do everything, and he still puts himself in that conversation. And he's doing it with a team that's not filled with superstars. It's not like, you know, they're running plays for him constantly. He just goes to the net with his athleticism and, and makes things happen. And it's really interesting to watch And You see a guy like that fly through the air. If he's not in Milwaukee, he's a way bigger star and he's already won the MVP twice. Like I just, to me, the NBA must lose so much sleep over that contract extension. That guy would drive so many viewers in a big market just because of his ability to fly through the air and do some of the things he does at the size that he is.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, even still with him, you say, like, he, he doesn't really shoot the three, but he doesn't really have to. He still gets uh, about six and a half, seven assists a night. So he drives to the middle and then can pass it out because he's the kind of player that will draw defenders in, right? You Yeah, you and he you know draws a lot of doubles. Him. You gotta try to stop him. Yeah, exactly. Kind of similar to like McDavid. You have to put two guys on him, right? Otherwise he's just gonna blow by you.
0: Yeah. And if you don't and then as soon as you do that, like as long as he is a little bit aware. And I might have been a little bit hard on him earlier, saying that he doesn't have a ton of basketball IQ. What I kind of mean by that is it's not like born and bred into him. He's not somebody that really you can just see him always making the right decisions. He's just out there kind of raw in the moment. And he still manages to, you know, get assists and and, and draw doubles and force people to do things that they, they know they shouldn't do. And we're talking about the best basketball players in the world. And they foul him. They, they end up getting crossed up by him or, he blows by them like, like they shouldn't even be in the league. And you're not talking about a some bench player. Lots of times you're talking about players that, that lots of fans know. Yeah. He just has an athleticism that you just don't see. I think he could be elite in about any sport that he would have tried to apply himself to. Yeah. And well and it's it's not
1: all about offense in the MVP race either, and that's something that both Jokic and Giannis are both—they're both really solid defenders too.
0: Yeah, like I'm like I'm looking right here, and it's saying he's averaging eleven rebounds, almost twelve rebounds, two offensive, and ten defensive every game. Yeah, like and that's just that's just balls that don't go in, and guys trying to make moves. Well, they got a guy like that chasing them down, and. His ability, his athleticism is doesn't maybe grab as much attention on the defensive side of the court, but your ability to get up and grab balls over top of a bunch of other elite athletes who have great size, I think that kind of uh, gets glossed over by, by a casual fan, his ability to just get up and get the ball. He, he comes down with a lot of rebounds. I think that both of these guys are
1: neck and neck. And then I think you you slot in Embiid in there. Um, You could slot in Damian Lillard. Maybe he's dropped down the list a little bit recently. But
0: Honestly, I probably would have had Embiid as my my guy, but I'm really concerned about his health all the time. Yeah. And I know that in order to win this, you got to play. And something about that guy just makes me nervous.
1: Yeah, and that's if he's not playing, then he's obviously not going to win it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, these other guys are going to walk away on him. And that's the reason I think LeBron is out of the – I think he's out of the picture. Obviously, some people think LeBron can still come back from that high ankle – was it sprain or break or whatever it was. Um, Yeah, it's a high ankle sprain, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So some people think that he can still come back and put up numbers high enough to – put himself back in that race and even win the MVP, but I don't think he can do it. I think that when you miss that much time, especially late in a season, the recency bias takes over and you just like they're they're not going to look at your numbers at the start of the season as much. They're going to look at what you've done down the stretch and when you're not playing down the stretch, how can you win the MVP award?
0: The uh, the other thing I would be worried about with him is what if he what if he just waits till playoffs? It's not like LeBron can't come back at a high level no matter when he comes back. If I'm the Lakers, as long as they're in a playoff spot, I I might protect him, make sure that he comes back healthy.
1: Yeah, I think they've got uh, Anthony Davis coming back this week, so they, they have the chance to exactly. do that because they've got their other stud coming in to keep them in a playoff spot.
0: Yeah, and there's a big part of me that thinks like, Le- LeBron James might be in the league for a really long time still and he's yep. already been here for a long time and been regarded as one of the best players to ever play so I think it's on the Lakers to, to manage that asset because I think he'll be there right up until the end at this point so they they need to do their best to Try to prolong his career as long as they can. Yep, yeah,
1: and I think that's it's worth letting him sit and get fully rested, and not rushing him back. Yeah, hundred percent agree. All right, so there you have it. Those are our two MVP picks for the NBA this season. We'll see. There's only a few weeks left, so we'll know sooner or rather sooner rather than later whether one of us was right or. Maybe there's a sleeper candidate, candidate that we're not thinking of. Steph Curry's been hot recently. Recently, maybe he's going to make a push, but time will tell. So let's move on.
0: Yeah. Uh, go ahead. I would just say that, like, the, the NBA seems to not consider people whose teams aren't at an elite level, and that's what stopped Steph Curry. Like, I could have sat here and actually made a pretty good case for him. I wrote one out. Uh, But it just seems uh, the past couple of years, and and going back and doing some reading, that you can't win the MVP unless your team is performing really well. And I don't think anyone uh, thinks this is where the Golden State Warriors want to be. So I I just think he doesn't get the consideration because of where their team's at at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that you yeah you look at
1: what what players win it. They are always on winning teams. So let's jump into the NHL and we'll talk about our NHL trade deadline wrap-up. So what teams did well, what teams maybe could have done more. Uh, we'll go team by team and just kind of talk about it. We'll chat. So I'd say why don't we start and we'll just follow the standings and work our way down to Calgary and Vancouver where we'll jump in and talk a little bit deeper. Um, so that's right, also, actually works out perfect. Yep, it's also partly an excuse for me to remind myself that the Leafs are still at the top of the standings, even though we've lost five straight, and that hurts, but we're still winning, and that makes me feel good. <laughs> so let's start with the Leafs. Obviously, the Leafs got Nick Foligno, David Riddick, Ben Hutton, Riley Nash, Stefan Nason, and Antti Sumella in and around the deadline. Obviously not all of those were deadline day, day deals. Riley Nash was about a week before, but, or a few days before. But all of those players were in and around the deadline. And Kyle Dubas managed to do that without giving up any roster players or high-end prospects, just picks. What are, what's your thought on thoughts on how Dubas did this year at the deadline and what he's brought to this team?
0: Uh, well, honestly, on the Dubas' point of view, I just want to sit there and take in the fact that, again, he's always looking to improve the team and give them a shot in the playoffs. It's really frustrating to me with how close the NHL is when a team is a cuss playoff team and their management doesn't do anything to improve their team going into playoffs. No matter what position you're in, I think with how the NHL has worked and how uh, champions come out of nowhere all the time. If your team's in the mix, you need to be trying to improve them in the playoffs. I think it's important to upgrade your team if you have the chance. Kyle Dubas has stepped up and done that. Every year he's been uh, the GM of the Leafs. This year he actually made some big moves. I think Leafs fans should be excited. But uh, yeah, I think it's a huge missed opportunity with how much parity there is in the NHL if your team gets into the playoffs, you got to do even something small to help them improve, give them a better chance. We saw Vancouver go very far last year, uh, and it wasn't super expected. We saw Ottawa go to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, a couple years ago when they had Carlson and, and Mark Stone. Uh, nobody really expected that. And If you have the chance to get in the playoffs in the NHL, you got to do something. To upgrade your team so i gotta give kyle Dubas credit for going out there and trying to get an impact player uh not always do you have to get someone that big uh like nick Felino, but i think you should always be in the mix for somebody so i really uh do want to say that that i think that that's a great play i, I love what nick Felino brings to the leafs he brings a lot of uh stuff that the leafs don't have i was actually pretty excited about david riddance but I'm a little concerned at this point. There's been some saves that I really felt like he needed to make, uh, especially the other night against Vancouver. Uh, there were two goals where I was like, you you have to make that save. And he's kind of fallen into that Freddy conversation for me where he makes some saves that I don't expect him to make. And then next thing you know, he lets in a goal that I could, I just couldn't imagine going in on an NHL team. And that's not another goaltender, uh, that style goaltender that I think the Leafs need in the organization. Uh, but hopefully, he works that out. I think he has the ability to be a good goalie in the NHL, and he's he's shown that on on short stretches.
1: Yeah, I think I I agree with you on that with with Riddick. But I think, well, and and I think like you look at his career, and he's always been a little bit streaky. Like he'll have one year in Calgary where he's known as big save Dave and he's the star and he's great. And he comes in clutch all the time. And then the next year he kind of faded a bit. And then, so he has ups and downs. I'm just hoping that he can find a path up for the rest of the season and use that last game against Vancouver as some jet fuel, jet fuel to push him up.
0: Yeah. I, I honestly, I, I like him as a as a person and as a player when you hear his interviews, even when he was in Calgary, like he fits the mold of the type of players that the Leafs are trying to have, and it's obviously a great depth piece. Like I don't want to put too much pressure on it because I think all Leaf fans want Anderson back for playoffs, and if you don't and you're that hyped up about Jack Campbell, I think you're gonna be disappointed. I hate to tell you. There's a reason we paid Freddie. There's a reason we went out and got Freddie. I realize he's at the end of the contract and everybody's a little nervous about what's going to go on next, but there's a reason he's been our guy. And there's a reason there were times where he made us relevant when we didn't deserve to be relevant. So I think ideally if you're a Leafs fan, you want to see Freddie back sooner rather than later, but it sounds like he won't be back till the playoffs. But as far as the other moves, like, uh, Stefan Nosian and um, a lot of the other depth pieces like that. I just like that we've added some kind of guys with some grit. I really like how he plays. He's kind of a cusp NHL guy, but when he comes in the lineup he understands the role that he's got and and the Leafs didn't pay crazy amounts to get these guys. So they're just adding depth in what could be a kind of a greasy playoff run to get out of the North Division. You're going to have to go through some really good teams to get out of the North Division. It's not going to get any easier after that. But I think depth is going to be really important. If you want to make a big run this year, it's already been a condensed season. I think you're crazy to think that there won't be some injuries. So the Leafs have got capable NHL players that understand their role when they're in the NHL. And to me, that's some great moves.
1: Yeah. Uh, One guy I'm looking at that... I'm really excited to see. I think that he'll be a really nice addition to our bottom pair defense. If if we get deep into a playoff run is Ben Hutton. I think that he's the kind of guy that you know what kind of player you're getting, you know exactly where he can fit in and you know what he brings to the team. Plus he's just everything I've seen about him. He's a super cheerful guy. He's never going to be down. And I think that's, another thing that really goes to goes to show the culture that Dubas has been building in this locker room every player that he's brought in has been somebody that just has drive to win and isn't going to get down on themselves too much and and is going to mesh with this locker room like there are other players that Dubas could have brought in. He probably could have gone after Hall, but I don't think Hall would have meshed with our locker room the same way that Nick Foligno will, because there's that history with the Leafs, right? Um, but what do you think? that Felino versus Hall. What's your take on that for the Leafs,
0: anyway? I just, to me, first off, I was a little concerned um, about players that go to Buffalo uh, being able to snap out of it fast enough. Uh Ryan O'Reilly ended up being a Conn Smythe winner, but it did take a little while, and I was worried about that. I also think that Polino brings things to the Leafs that Taylor Hall wouldn't, and Taylor Hall brings things to the Leafs that the Leafs already have.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. When, I
0: think. when, ta- when Taylor Hall's really hot, and some people might not like what I'm about to say, he's a really, really good player. When William Nylander is really hot, he's a really, really good player. And he tends to play better in playoffs. I just think you're adding a guy that's similar to a guy we have. People are going to think that I'm crazy comparing Nylander and Taylor Hall, but they're both streaky, but when they're on, they're on. And Taylor Hall obviously has some more physical ability, but and size but you just don't see him really apply that so when when I hear that argument I'm not really I'm not really about it you like Nick Foligno actually uses his physical ability and and has some grit and block shots that's something you know you're gonna get of Nick Foligno that's something people like to talk about getting out of Taylor Hall but in reality you don't always get it every night and you're gonna get consistency out of Nick Foligno. Nick Foligno is gonna give you something every night, even if it isn't offensively. Where if Taylor Hall's not giving you offense, I'm not really sure what you're getting from him night in and night out. I'm glad to hear you say that because I've been
1: preaching that to like some of my coworkers and stuff that have been that hopped on the Taylor Hall train and just still haven't gotten off, and they're still pissy that he went to Boston instead of the Leafs. And especially once he was he was taken for a second round pick instead of a first, they were like, well, we could have paid that, blah, 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 right? And I I had to, like, I've looked them straight in the eye and just said, no, you're an idiot. Felino fits this team. Taylor Hall is more of what we have. We need complementary players, not more skill. And that's what it comes down to.
0: Yeah, there, there were years where the Leafs had a lot of Nick Folignos and needed a Taylor Hall. And I think people are are kind of stuck in that reality. They think back to when we lost to the Bruins the first time with Reimer and the heartbreak. And that team, they played hard and they played well and they just didn't have enough high-end skill. But that's not the problem the Leafs have right now. And it's actually far from it.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of a really nice place to be as a Leafs fan.
0: Those other guys are acquirable. It's really hard to go out and get. Tyler Bozak I actually love, but he was never a first-line center. And it's really hard to go and get one of those guys. We're going to talk about Calgary in a little bit, and that's basically what I'm going to say is that they don't have a true number one center, and your team can only go so far without one. And the Leafs are different than they were 10 years ago, and I think a lot of Leaf fans are stuck um, in the wrong mindset. Okay, so
1: looking at what we've acquired with the Leafs this season and in for this push, we gave up uh, 2021 first, which is going to be basically a second if the Leafs do well or continue to do well, Uh, 2021 fourth, a third round, a fourth round, a fifth round, and a conditional seventh. So I've seen a lot of people complaining that we've given away a lot of draft picks. In my opinion, screw the draft picks. It's win-now mode. We We had 12 draft picks in the last draft, and I trust in our scouting to find the diamond in the rough. When it comes to draft picks, we've seen that the Leafs have so much money in scouting that they're able to do that. So I say forget the draft picks. Let's go for it. What's your take?
0: So, actually, I'm going to pull up a guy here, here really quick. Yeah. Um, last year, I heard a lot about how the Leafs got guys they didn't expect to get. In Topi Nemo and Ronnie Hervainen, who are both Finnish players, and they're similar to guys we got. One of them's a defense, and one of them's a undersized forward. Um, a lot of people are all about... Amiroff, and I think there is something there, but these are guys that the Leafs projected to be second-rounders, and they maybe weren't willing to take them there, and they waited, and they got them later, and they're excited to have these players in in their group, and this year's scouting has been an absolute tire fire. There's tons of leagues that aren't running, and short seasons, and this and that, The OHL produces a ton of NHL talent. Plain and simple, they're not playing this year. So I think that there's something really to be said about if you're going to give up draft picks, this might be the year to do it. Also, like you said, I believe in the Leaf scouting. I think a lot of good players are going to slip because this should have been their year to showcase themselves. And if anybody spent money on scouting players a couple years in advance, it would be the Leafs. Uh, we've said it before on this podcast. There's no salary cap for your front office. The Leafs are taking a great advantage of that. So I think they have a good idea of who they think they want coming into this year. And the reality is some of those players might be ranked lower than expected because of lack of ability to see players this year. So there's going to be good players taken this year in weird spots. There's going to be somebody who's going to get a star in a round that you never expected. I realize that happens enough, but I think this year is going to be a year where you're really going to see it, and maybe the Leafs can be that team, but I'm sure they're going to get some value.
1: All right, so we've spent enough time talking about our hometown Leafs. Let's move on to the Jets. We'll give some listeners a break from our Leafs chatter for a little while. So. The Jets got Jordy Ben. That's all that they did. We heard. I've heard since the deadline, um, Elliot Friedman has come out and said that they were really trying to push for Alexiak, but they sort of had all their eggs in one basket, and when Dallas took that basket off the table, they were left high and dry. But I'd be interested to hear what you think about that because I know I have. I have other opinions. I don't think that they were left so high and dry.
0: So there, there's two opinions I I have that are kind of something that you've been hearing a lot. But I'm going to start with the one that I haven't heard too much of, and maybe that's where you're going, Uh, is that Jordy Ben, even though he wasn't their ideal candidate, he fits their play style really well. He fits their team. He fits how they're built. I, they, I understand they needed more defensemen than that. A lot of people think they needed two guys that they might get through the first round, they might get through the second round, but they don't have enough depth on the back end to really make a run, and they have an elite-level top nine at, uh, as far as forwards, and, and they need to cash in on that now while they have the ability. So I think a lot of Jets fans are disappointed. But... Uh, but I think you got to take this for what it's worth. Uh, they got Jordy Ben, who I think actually really fits their system and their play style really well. He plays a lot like a lot of their players, and they're they're going to be hard to play against, and so is Jordy Ben. And they didn't give up too much to get him. Uh, we were talking at the start of the show that Winnipeg I think is going to have a hard time keeping players long term, so they got to be very aware of giving up prospects and draft picks because they need players they can control for long term. And so I think this is actually a pretty good move by the Winnipeg Jets. I think I understand why some of their fans are a little bit disappointed, but you ended up with a player that does really suit your team.
1: Yeah, that's I think that Jets fans should actually be excited that they didn't empty the farm to get a guy like Alexiak. As much as Alexiak is a good player, he's got a lot of upside still. He like he can still improve if they were to want to re-sign him next year. Alexiak is still a bottom pair, maybe second pair defenseman. And I think the Jets need something more than that. Right? Like, I think... Ideally, they would have been able to chase Savard, but I think he was just out of the price range that Dayoff was willing to spend. Um, and I think that's what ended up being the case with Alexiak, is that Dallas was just asking too high of a price for the caliber of, of defenseman that Alexiak is. He's more of a... He, he's got a lot of skill, and he's a huge body that can really make an impact on the ice, but... I don't know that he would make enough of an impact to make it worth throwing Stanley or Heinle in, which are the Jets' two big prospects. And it sounds like that's who they wanted. That's who Dallas wanted. Um, And when I look at the Jets, the majority of their core, all of their big players, Shifley, Dubois, Ehlers, Kyle Connor. Now they just just re-signed Adam Lowry for a solid deal. They're all still under contract for a few years. They've got this core built. I think they've got time to let their prospects come into their lineup, see what they have at the start of next season, and then make a move throughout the season. And actually, they've already got Heinel in the lineup to see what he has for the remainder of this season. Yeah, I think that for for Jets fan fans I would be quite content that maybe you're not making a big push this year but you're building for a future where you could potentially have a legacy team not just a one or two year success team whereas if you're giving up guys like Stanley and Heinola I think that is tipping the tipping the scales to be like a, oh we're going to make a big push try and win one
0: year and then fall off. Yeah, it, I I do understand a little bit of the frustration of some Jets fans that think that, you know, this is a big open window for them and they're not taking full advantage of it. But I would agree with you that they didn't expect to be this good right now. I they they subtract line A because Kyle Connor effectively made line a expandable. Yep. Even though line a wanted to move Kyle Connor made that way more manageable and that is huge. And that's where you need to take advantage of that on my part is they have a really good team and their window looks to be open longer than many really good teams right now. So they might want to take a step back and do what you're saying and continue acquiring assets while trying to make runs with what they have.
1: Yeah. And on top of that, I think you give Dubois the rest of the season to fit in with the lineup and then he gets a proper training camp next season. You can't tell me that he's not going to be, or he doesn't have the potential to be unreal next year. Plus, the Jets might be getting Brian Little back le- next year as well. He's been out all season with the perforated eardrum, but that's not to say that he's not coming back eventually, right?
0: I have heard that that can be a weird injury, but I don't think I don't think I've heard that he's done for his career.
1: No, so I mean, you still have the potential of him coming back, and then if he comes back he could slot in as your third line center and that's nothing to laugh at
0: no he's actually really hard to play against he's a guy that i would i would want to mind him if i was a gm like he's not he's not as young as he once was like i'm not going to sit here and tell you that he is because i i think you got to be honest with yourself that age always wins and he is getting up there but yeah As he slots down further in the lineup, he also can become more effective because of who he's playing against.
1: Yeah, I think that's similar to what we're seeing with Spezza right now with the Leafs is that he's having an unreal season because he's playing against four flying guys. Yeah, and
0: and he has certain abilities that they don't have. Yeah. Not... Not that there's a ton that he has that they don't have at this point, but he still has the hockey sense that maybe they don't necessarily have or the elite-level shot, and that's the same thing Ryan Little's going to do as a third, fourth liner, maybe a power play guy. He's going to have the ability to play against the guys he's matching up with, but he's going to have the knowledge and the elite-level skills. You don't lose your ability to shoot the puck.
1: Yeah. So that's, I think with the Jets, I wouldn't be worried about them right now. I wouldn't be – I understand the frustration of not trying to go for it this year, but I, as a Leafs fan, am not looking forward to playing them next year because they're going to be even better next year.
0: Yeah, I honestly think Billy Handler is is going to be a stud. Yeah. And he's going to bring them something they don't necessarily have. I think he could force it, their hand into them having to let him be their offensive defenseman in the future. He skates so well. He just seems wise beyond his years. He makes great passes. There's a lot for Jets fans to be excited about with him. Definitely. All right. Edmonton, similar
1: to the Jets, only went out and got a depth defenseman. Edmonton's cap situation is obviously a little bit different. Um, Ken Holland came out and basically bitched to the media after the after the deadline and said, "Well, I just don't have room. I can't do anything more." Which I really think that was a cop out answer. I think that he just didn't try hard enough. But that's that's my take on that. I would be disappointed that I didn't get more in this deadline because they could be going, they could go deep in the playoffs and a better defenseman than Kulikov could be even more important to this team or a bottom,
0: bottom six forward. I just don't like Edmonton outside of their top players. Like I actually like Kulikov. and uh, assuming he can stay healthy. He brings um, a little more offense and uh, a lot more experience to their back end. Kulikov was actually pretty sought after until he started having all these injury problems. So there, there's a lot to be said about that ad. If they go deep, I think you'll be hearing a lot about what Kulikov's been able to do and and this and, and that. But I just don't know. I I don't know what Edmonton's doing, to be honest. They have the best player in the world, arguably, and, and Leon Dreisaitl at that, who is you can make a case for being top five, maybe top three. I just, I'm really concerned if I'm an Oilers fan, honestly. I realize they're going to have a lot of cap space next year, uh, but free agent deals don't always work great. You go out and you buy the biggest free agents on the free agent market, and um, we've seen that story before. It doesn't always work out. Uh, I hate to always bring it back to the Leafs, but David Clarkson comes to mind. Sometimes the best guy in the market isn't that good. He's just the best guy on the market.
1: Yep. That being said, I think there is a lot of Really good guys on the market this year because a lot of the guys from last year took one-year deals. So I think the the market this year is going to be f- flooded with highly skilled players.
0: Yeah, my my only concern about it, I guess, is that even when those players are available, you bring them in, maybe they don't fit your team, maybe they don't do do whatever. I don't think the Oilers have an identity.
1: No, they absolutely don't. They have a. And Mick it's David. really
0: hard to bring in. It's really hard to bring in a guy. Who you're like this guy definitely fits us when you don't know what your identity is. If that makes any sense. Yep.
1: Yep, that totally like makes the sense. Like
0: the Leafs, know what they need coming into the, the trade deadline and this and that. The the Winnipeg Jets know next year they need defensive depth. There's just a lot of questions for me about the Oilers, and I I think uh, Oilers fans, they got to be frustrated at this point.
1: Yeah. The one thing I will say, too, though, is that they're in a place where McDavid and Dreisaitl could still throw that team on their back and carry them past the first and second round of the playoffs. They're not... They're still not a team to laugh out of the out of the arena because of those two players, right? They're just they're so no, 100% highly skilled. I
0: agree with that.
1: And then we're seeing cooley RV fitting in with McDavid a little better. We're starting to see some of the periphery players find hole or find their roles in that lineup. So I think. As much as like, yeah, I if I were an Oilers fan, I would have wanted Ken Holland to do more at the deadline. I do kind of understand his hesitancy and patience to wait for the offseason to find the players because they are starting to try to build an identity. They're just still a ways away from it, and I think there's a lot of a lot of changes around their core that still need to happen. To help build that identity
0: I just think back to how well Patrick Maroon and Zach Cassian at times have played with Connor McDavid and I think you need to simplify the type of players you put with Connor McDavid they need to be straight line a little bit gritty get to the net make something happen because he's gonna get to the net and if you're there and you can bang in rebounds you can make a career but Uh, They just haven't seemed to find that player with the right type of build to really be highly effective with McDavid. I don't think it's ideal they have to play McDavid and Drysaddle together. I was really excited when they got Dominic Cahoon. I thought he might rekindle his chemistry with Drysaddle and really go to work. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, for my fantasy team and for the Oilers, that wasn't the case. And I still think he's an NHL player, but I think the Oilers were looking a a lot more out of that signing. They were looking for some lightning in a bottle, and they didn't get it. They're really cash-strapped. They got some real bad contracts. And it all ends this year, and I think the best thing they can do is take advantage of it in the offseason.
2: Yep.
1: Yep. And I, I think they will. I still think they're... Whoever they're going to play against, they're going to put up a fight regardless, but I don't know if you can ride out a Stanley Cup win on two players' backs and the goalie that's 38 or 30 – how old is he? 36?
0: Yeah. uh, I think, yeah, you might have even been closer with 38. Uh, He is up there, and that is something that I didn't even get to, but he does concern the hell out of me. The other – part that concerns me is if you're sitting here and we're talking about how the bottom six is actually a bunch of nobodies, shouldn't there be somebody in their bottom six who could punch somebody if they're taking too many liberties on Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl? Like, their players that are willing to do that are too important to their team. Like, Zach Cassian probably shouldn't be that important to the Oilers. But in in reality, he is. And Darnell Nurse used to do a little bit of that, but they cannot have that this year. He needs to be on the ice. They can't have him sitting in the box for five minutes. So I thought they were actually going to be in on that guy uh, from from San Jose, who's been making his name for himself as a little bit of a a fighter and. But uh, they didn't end up being in on that. And I, I think that I'm a little worried if I'm an Oilers fan. Like, the guys they have in their bottom six, none of them bring that. And honestly, they don't bring much else. So I, I think I'd rather have a couple guys like that in my lineup if I'm the Oilers because of how valuable the two players we have are.
1: Yeah. All right. So rounding out the top four in the North. Let's jump down to Montreal. Montreal went out, they got Eric Stahl, they got John Merrill, and they got Eric Gustafson. I think Montreal did a decent job. I I really I think Bergevin went out and filled some holes in his lineup. Maybe they aren't all-star pieces, but I think John Merrill is a guy that I don't particularly want to play against. Eric Stahl... Hmm. He's still a solid third, fourth line center. And I don't know too much about Eric Gustafson, but I think that uh,
0: Bergeron did a decent job. So, I actually like, yeah, like you said, I like the moves they made. And they didn't give up too much to make those moves. Eric Stahl, you know exactly what you're going to get. He's going to win face-offs. He's going to be smart defensively. He's going to be a high IQ player. He's not as fast as he used to be. Nobody is at his age. I uh, wasn't the fastest player at any point, so that's something you need to be aware of. He already knows how to be effective when he's not a, a straight burner out there. So when people go on and on about stuff like that, I like to point that out. Some guys weren't burners their whole career, and they knew how to be effective. So that's what makes me think Eric Stahl is going to continue to be effective. Uh, he's going to win you important faceoffs. He can play on the penalty kill. He can play on the power play. There's really no downside to that. Eric Gustafson had a really good year in Chicago. I want to say it was two years ago. Obviously, didn't work out in Philly, but what's going right in Philly right now?
1: Not a whole I lot. I think Eric
0: Gustafson could actually surprise people to be honest yeah Yeah, like I, I, I 100% agree with you nothing's going right in Philly they're actually a really good team they can't get a save I, I was actually scared of them to start this year and it didn't work out for them they're having an awful year so Eric Gustafson actually they got him at a decent price because of what he's been able to do this year Uh, Some Philly fans were really hating on him, but honestly, your team's got a lot of problems right now. So I, I think that Eric Gustafson might actually be able to turn it around. Similar to the Leafs, I like the guys that Montreal has in their locker room to help a guy who's been struggling this year. So that is important. If a guy's been having a tough time, you need some character guys around him get him going in the right direction. Eric Gustin can be effective offensively uh, when he's on his game, and that's something that the the Canadians needed to add on their back end, uh, especially with the question marks around Petrie. And like you said, John Merrill, that's just a guy that I don't want to go in the corner with that guy. Yeah. Because he doesn't care about the puck. And those guys are scary in the playoffs. All right. But so I that, could see Eric, Eric Stahl doing something similar to Spezza. Uh, we were saying that at this point in his career, he matches up with players that don't have the type of skill set and IQ that, that he has and brings every night. You could see him be a lot more effective because he's able to slot further down in Montreal's lineup. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like there's not much else to
1: say about Montreal, and just that I don't particularly want to play against them in the playoffs. Um, I think they're a team that's built well for playoff hockey, and if they if um, Price can come back and find his game, then I don't want to play against them.
0: <laughs> that's what it comes yeah, down like, to. Yeah, like you said, health is a pretty big question mark for them at this point. Because, like, Josh Anderson brings a lot that you want in playoffs, but the reality is he'd still be in Columbus if he consistently played 82-game season.
1: Yeah, and that's he came out swinging this year and then fell off a cliff a little bit, so.
0: Yeah, he's a little inconsistent. He tends to have some injuries. Honestly, I thought he was the perfect John Tortorella player And obviously, Tortorella was all right with moving him. It sounds like they have a good coach-GM relationship. So uh, if I'm a Habs fan, I'm excited to have him. But I'm not necessarily sure that I'm sold on how uh, much value he's going to bring as far as consistency. But he's another kind of player that could just turn
1: it on in the playoffs and be real dangerous out there.
0: Yeah, similar to uh, we're going to be moving into Calgary next. Yep. So to me, he's a guy like Sam Bennett who, you know, he's maybe Doug can't play his game uh, in the climate of today's NHL during the regular season, but could really flourish in the playoffs. And since we're moving into Calgary, uh, they made a trade and they moved on from Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett shown in Calgary that he was a playoff performer and I think that he's actually the highest drafted Flame all time. So it's real disappointing where this went if you're a Flames fan. And if he is a really good playoffs I think there's gonna be a lot of better Calgary fans. See, yes and no. I think there
1: there might be, but they got a haul for him. They got a second round pick for a fourth line guy.
0: Yeah, but you got to figure they spent a six overall pick on him. That's true, I guess. Yeah. Like that's where I, that's where I'd be bitter like about it if I if I'm if I'm them. You you can't get a first rounder out of a guy you took in the top ten, but he hasn't really given you the ability to do that. No, he hasn't. He's just not been
1: consistent. But now he's he's in Florida and he's killing it. What does he have? Like, I think points in three straight games or something like that. Like, as soon as he showed up in Florida, he just decided to score and decided to play hockey again, which I kind of uh, hate yeah, guys like that. Yeah. Like, guys like also, that piss me off.
0: I don't know. He gets a different opportunity there, too. That's he true. wasn't really getting a he wasn't really getting a top six opportunity in Calgary anymore, and to me that's kind of stupid. If you take a guy six overall, you expect him to be an offensive player, and then when you don't get what you want, you bury him on the bottom six, and then how's he ever going to be the player that you took him and we're hoping he would be?
2: Yeah, there's especially... also a lot
0: more, a lot more depth in Florida, so I I think similar to what well, we've been saying the whole podcast, sometimes when you can slot down the lineup and then continue to still play with high-level players, it's really helpful. Yeah, and I, I don't
1: understand why they didn't have him slotted up higher in the lineup because right now they're playing Brett Richie on their second line, and he's a career fourth-line guy. Like, There's no reason Brett Richie should be on the second line of Calgary.
0: No, but that's just that's just a Sutter move. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Brett Ritchie was, I'm pretty sure, was with the Bruins for a bit. And the Bruins like to put guys like that in their top six, and he didn't get that opportunity there, and he's older now. I don't necessarily think he's earned the opportunity in Calgary. It's more that he is a... Sutter-type player, so that's where he ends up slotting in. I actually thought that Bennett might get a complete turnaround on his career when he went, when Sutter came in. I thought he was a Sutter player. I'm not sure that he got a real chance to reinvent himself under Sutter. I think the management might have already kind of made their decision.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Well, even, and he asked for a trade at the start of the season too, right? So yeah, the entire true. year he's been sitting there waiting to leave, right? So,
0: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Even if he starts playing the right way, it's hard to keep a guy and that you know doesn't want to be there. So now that we're in this bottom three of the
1: North division, we wanted to dive in a little deeper and talk about sort of the makeup of the teams and why they're in the bottom three and not in the top three. Cause I think everyone predicted or the majority of people predicted Calgary to be in the top three of the North. And a lot of people predicted Vancouver to be in that fourth, fifth slot, not down where they are right now. Or third, third, fourth slot, I guess. Um,
0: so uh, go ahead. I actually kind of had Vancouver where they, where they are but I expected them to not have to do what they're doing right now in order to make it happen. If that makes any sense. I thought they were always going to hang around that fourth, fifth spot.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: but a real bad start to the season changed that very quickly.
0: Yeah, and some injuries to key players, obviously. yeah, Their offense is pretty reliant on Elias Patterson, who struggled out of the gate and now he's injured so that that's difficult for them to deal with so
1: looking at calgary i think that for me the main thing with calgary is that their right wing is garbage like they just they don't have any players on that right wing that should be arguably in the top 2 lines all of their right wingers look like bottom 6 wingers um, and then even you could argue that both of their top two lines look like second lines instead of a one two pair, and that's largely because they're only partial lines with that right wing being so questionable,
0: yeah, so actually, I'm gonna agree with that that end part all. I'm all right with their right wing, uh, mostly because I think that their problem is at center. Uh, Lindholm wasn't even a natural centerman when he came to Calgary. He played center uh, before being in Carolina, which was either in junior or in Europe. So to me, like that was a long time ago. The fact that you have made that guy into a center and it's worked out all right, you should be super happy. But I think he would be more effective as a winger. I think the reality is Calgary doesn't have enough center depth to be effective. They don't have a true number one. That moves a lot of guys around. You could have a a kind of iffy right winger if you had a true number one center. But they don't even have close to that. Sean Monahan was actually really gross coming out of junior and didn't really have a sophomore slump, played great. He's ran into some wrist injuries. Hasn't really scored at the same pace since then. Uh, if you're a Calgary fan, you're super disappointed. This guy looked like the kind of player that Calgary fans would get behind and and worship for a long time. They were looking for another guy like that. Uh, having lost Jerome again around the same time, I thought it looked like Sean Monahan was going to be the future of the Flames as far as like that player that Canadian fans love to support, physical, big, can score, can kind of play the whole game. I understand Johnny Goudreau is is super electric to watch, but Canadian, big, lots of size, plays both ends of the puck, plays up the middle. I really thought Calgary was going to embrace uh, Sean Monaghan, and Sean Monaghan was going to embrace Calgary and become a true number one center, but that just hasn't worked out don't have a true number one, it's really hard to be a playoff team, and in the age of this NHL where the top two lines on the, the best teams in the league, pretty interchangeable, uh, Crosby, Malkin, DeVaris, Matthews, it's really hard to compete if you don't even have one number one guy, and that's where Calgary's at, uh, to me, they made some really good additions this year to make their team better. It didn't work out. I I think uh, that it's just starting to pile up that they don't have that real true number one center, and Sean Monahan's been on a little bit of a regression, so those two things adding up just didn't work out for Calgary this year. I think if you add a, a real number one center, that's actually a team that's really hard to play against, but... They're missing a huge piece.
1: Yeah, and I, you look at Sean Monaghan, and in the 2018-2019 season, he was an 82-point guy, and since then he's been around the 60-point mark, which you're right, yeah, 60 points is not... You need more than that out of a top center. Um, Which, I mean, like, 60 points is still a half-decent season, but... It's just not good enough. And and he's on the decline, too. Every year since then, he's been less and less. And that's, like, uh, factoring in the shortened season last year and this year.
0: Yeah, like, honestly, I I loved the way he played when he came into the league. Obviously, it's a little bit easier to come in as a rookie, you play a little further down the lineup. Uh, Him and Johnny Gaudreau looked unreal when they showed up in Calgary. Calgary actually won the West a couple years ago, and they uh, made some big additions this year, like I said, and they don't look anything like that team. So something is going wrong, and I think it might be time to just blow it up and move on. Uh, They have a lot of assets there that are actually valuable, yeah. If you wait and you let Johnny Gaudreau walk and you let a couple of those other guys walk and move on, it's gonna be way harder to retool this team. So I think uh you gotta do that sooner rather than later.
1: And that was actually gonna be my next question was do you think this is a they need to blow it up or just retool? So I wonder if
2: Yeah, something's
1: they try wrong a quick with their, with their locker room. There there it seems like there is something wrong with the locker room for sure. Um, But I'm wondering if they do try a retool this season, and then if that doesn't work, sell high at the deadline next season. Because right, as of right now, um, Kachuk, Goudreau, uh, Giordano, and a few other periphery players are all expiring contracts at the end of 2022. They're all UFAs or RFAs at the end of next season. So I'm wondering if maybe they don't hang on, try and do a retool in the offseason, see what you can bring in with um, in free agency or through trades. Maybe you move a couple of guys this offseason and see if you can't turn that uh, that locker room around. And if it's still not working by the end of next season, then you blow it up. After these contracts are expired, and you can move them at the deadline, or figure out what you're going to do with it then. But I'm wondering if that's the route they go with—is the slow burn instead of
0: blow it up all at once? I just think you you might get more out of those guys like Johnny Gaudreau if you got if the team got them for a full season. To me, like their value diminishes a little bit if we're only getting them for the playoff run. That's true, yeah. But I do agree that, that I do agree with part of what you're saying that maybe, maybe this has just been a weird slump. This was a really good team, not that long ago, and their yeah. decor, if just just for name value, with some of the guys they have, uh, Valimaki, Giordano, Hannafin, Tanev, that sounds intimidating, but it, for some reason it's not working.
1: Yeah, and Tanev hasn't this this year. tanev has been fairly useless. Like he he didn't he doesn't have the chemistry that he had with Hughes. Um,
0: yeah, it, at the start of the year. Tanev was actually, like, on my radar to be on my fantasy team because him and Tanev were playing really well together. And I was like, oh, my God, Tanev is the new Mark Mathot. Like, you put him with an offensive defenseman, and they can just play their game and go to work, and Tanev will clean up the mess. And that was really working at the start of the season. Uh, It was kind of one of the only real bright spots for Calgary. Uh, Because Markstrom was kind of scaring them and they just signed him to a big deal. And then that kind of went away too. So there's some serious issues there.
2: Yeah.
1: One thing I will say about this team that I don't, I don't know is what their prospect pool looks like. I don't know if they've got any young talent working their way through the system that could help turn them around. I am not sure. Like I, didn't look in look that deep into them. Um but I do know there's a few guys that I would want to keep on this team for sure. Like I think regardless, you're gonna keep Kachuk. Even if you blow the team up, he's someone you're gonna keep. And I think Mangiapani is actually a guy that I would hang on to. Um He's he's an interesting guy. I think that he Hasn't hit his ceiling yet, and he's going to keep and he's, getting better.
0: And he's house money, as far as Calgary's concerned, they yeah. they got him late. Uh, a lot of other player teams and and organizations thought that he wasn't going to be an effective NHL player, and he actually became effective fairly quickly, given where he was drafted. Yeah, he was so drafted in the sixth round. Yeah. Uh, so like put him in that Connor Brown conversation yeah. that's a guy you don't expect to be an NHL player at all and then he actually progresses quickly and isn't an effective NHL player in a relatively short amount of time.
1: Well and that's Mangiapani over last year and this year he's on pace for 40 point seasons playing on a third line. That's pretty solid. I think he's a guy that I'm surprised they haven't moved up in the lineup, and like you said, with um, Richie that uh, being a Sutter guy, that makes sense of why they haven't moved him up. But I would argue on this team,
0: Manjupani could play on the first line. Okay, here's something for Calgary that I want to talk to you about that I never that kind of a little bit off pace to what we were talking about, but they signed Sutter for two more years after this year. And this team isn't really built to be coached by Sutter. So does that make you more likely to think they're going to make moves? That makes me think
1: that um, their GM made a quick rash decision to try and bring Sutter in. And Sutter wasn't going to agree to a one-year deal. And I think that he thought Sutter would have a bigger impact on this team. Tree, Tree
0: Living is their job. Uh, yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. And so, I, actually, I actually liked him when he first came in, and some of the moves he's made for them have been good. I just, it's not working out right now. Yeah. that's. I think bringing Sutter in
1: was a good idea in theory to try and get these guys playing with that fire and that grit of a Sutter style game. But I think Tree Living overlooked the fact that that that's just not the style of hockey players he has. And maybe he can bring in some complementary players and try and make that this team. I don't know who you would give up to try and keep keep this core together if you're going to try and add add pieces in. Because as far as I know, they're fairly close to the cap. The majority of their players are getting between 5 and 7 million right now. Or the the majority of the core is between 5 and 7 million. I'm not sure how much he's got on the outsides, but um so I don't know how much cap room he has to to try and add pieces around this team. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I think they'd have to make a hockey
0: trade. So who do you move? I don't- uh, you probably move Goudreau because he just doesn't fit Sutter at all, and he can't be not in your top six. And so, I think that Calgary fans are going to take that hard. Yeah. Because, sure, he hasn't been quite the player uh, this last year that he has been previously. But you're crazy to think that if he goes somewhere else, he's not going to be that player again. So who's
1: a center that you would go after to try and boost this lineup off the top of your head?
0: I'd probably go after somebody in Tampa because they're, to me, this is their last year of their window. They're going to have to, they're going to have to blow it up. Yeah. Or they're going to have to do something drastic to me. Like Sorelli looks like a guy who doesn't necessarily need to be a third line guy. Um, and he might fit Sutter's system a little bit. I don't think you're going to, like, want to go out after a guy like Stamkos. going to cost too much, and he's not going to be a high-level player for that many more years, and he's got a little bit of an injury concerns. But, like, uh, Braden Point, Sorelli, I don't know how much uh, Tampa's going to want to move those guys, but they're going to have to move somebody.
1: Yeah, and I, and maybe if you move... Um, if they were to move a point, or if they were to go after point, point is a guy that has quarterback that top line when Stamkos is injured, right? So you know he that he's, he's able the, to play be a top line center.
0: Played in the Western League, he might be more willing to stay in Calgary. Yeah. I like honestly, he'd be ideal. I just don't know what the price tag would be on that. And I don't know whether Tampa would ever consider it. But I almost wonder if they should because the rest of their players are – their window on the rest of their players is going to end in the relatively same time. So maybe Point has the most value because he's going to be more relevant for longer. Yeah. And, like, what's it matter if he's super good when all their guys are gone? Like when Kucherov is just okay, when Stamkos is just okay, Braden Point isn't going to make that team relevant when all those guys, their window is closed. So maybe you try to just run with the old guys you got a couple more times and yeah. move on from point maximize Maximize get getting a, Point. Get a getting, haul out of Calgary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And honestly, I don't even know if Calgary would lose that deal.
1: No, I think Point because could slot know, in there I really well. Said, it would mean a
0: lot to them. Yeah. And he understands how to play with high-level players. So, like, Goudreau and stuff would actually be able to play with him, where I'm not really sure Goudreau and Monahan are on the same wavelength as far as hockey IQ. No, I don't think they are. And that that's a big thing for me. To me, like watching Tavares and Nylander when they're on, it's like they have the same brain.
1: Yeah, same with Marner and Matthews, right? Them together, they're, yeah, they're just they are one and the same. They're always thinking what the other one is thinking, right? And they, yeah, Calgary just doesn't have that same chemistry. Which I mean, it's it's hard to build that People kind of chemistry. A
0: team that has, yeah. I, but you have to have a player with, with a certain amount of hockey IQ and, and they're hard to come by. Number one, centers are hard to acquire. I think you got to look for a team that has to make a move.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so that's the other thing I wrote down for, for Calgary. were three players that I think are cap anchors for this team. And the the players I wrote down, which I think you'll probably disagree with some of them, but I'll I'll try and justify um, why I think they're anchors. So the first one is Backlund, the second one I've got is Lucic, and the third one is Tanev. So um, Tanev, I've got him as an anchor because I think he was paid based on the chemistry he had with Hughes, and he doesn't have that here, so now he's getting paid four and a half million for the next three or four years and might not find that chemistry again and might not be a valuable player on your team. Lucic is getting paid uh, 5 million, I think 6 million a year to be a grinder. He's not the same player that he used to be. And yes, a grinder is still very valuable on this team, but not $6 million valuable. I think I would be much happier paying Lucic like three million dollars to have him on the team, and then Backlund. Uh, he's he's like the least, um, least anchory, but he's still five and a half million, and he's getting older. He's thirty two. He's only sitting at about forty points a season. He's on the decline. Yes, he brings a lot of intangibles, but I don't know if he's worth five and a half million dollars for what he brings because that makes backland and lucic on their third line taking up 11 million and that's money you could use to
0: get a guy like point so i i agree with some of those i'm not sold on tana being an anchor because i i just don't think it's been a great fit for him in calgary i don't think that's necessarily his fault uh back when to me he brings a lot of intangibles like you said uh but he is getting up there uh he got hot at the right time and was kind of a dark horse in the Salky race he really got paid good money and and honestly good for him I, I like to see guys get paid but i don't think it's in calgary's best interest Lucic is definitely an anchor. I'm not gonna say he's not, but at this point, Lucic is more effective than James Neal. Yes. And that was the that was the deal. So, I mean, if you're a Calgary, you gotta take that for what it's worth. Do you want to scratch James Neal at six million, or do you want to play Lucic on your third and fourth line and have him contribute for six million?
1: I wonder if those if those three guys are guys that they might try to dump to a team that needs a veteran presence, um, that might have some cap room. Like Tanev could slot in really well on a team like Ottawa, and bring that veteran presence, and um, and they might have the cap room to to fit him in. <laughs>
0: Tanev and Shabbat, I'm telling you.
1: Well, that would be Tanev, unreal, or that could be unreal.
0: Tanev seems to be one of those guys. He understands how to play with those super offensive guys. Uh, he did really well with Hughes last year. Hughes has taken a massive step back defensively without Tanev. Uh, so I think you got to take advantage of what Tanev can do, and you put Tanev with an offensively talented player, I think he becomes way more effective because, like we were saying earlier, players that understand their role are super important, and he understands what he needs to do to be effective when he's playing with a highly offensively skilled defenseman on his pair. But Calgary doesn't have that guy right now. No, I thought that guy might have been able to be Hannafin, but I think those days might have might be gone by it might be too late to see Hannivan be that player.
2: Yep.
1: But yeah, that's my thought. I think that those three contracts are contracts that they could try and move because the players do still have value, but God, it'd be nice to get that that money back for them, right? And even if they have to t- retain half the salary, it's if you can find another guy that's going to bring... What backland, or bring more than backland for half the price, like a younger guy, I think you go for it, and that could bring you some center depth in a younger player with more um, more room to grow, whereas with backland he's on the decline, you know what he brings
0: yeah i I could see a playoff team being interested in backland just because you know that you're going to get what you're going to get from him. Uh, uh, that's why I think a retool isn't totally out of the, the question for Calgary, but they need, if they're going to do that, they need to do it soon while some of these guys have value. If Backlund has another year where he's kind of just okay, his value it will decrease quite a bit from what it is right now where he just had one bad year. Yeah, and they
1: need to do it right, because they're really walking a tightrope right now between being a good team again and becoming irrelevant for a while.
0: One, well, uh, we, we talked about it a couple episodes ago, which is probably closer to a month ago now, but Detroit didn't pull the plug soon enough, and they didn't get anything, and they are so irrelevant right now. Yep. Yeah. And Being one of those teams that just gets into playoffs or just misses by, like, four points, all you do is get a bad draft pick, and you don't get playoff games. And as a Leafs fan, I've seen that so many times. And I I don't want to see any other organization do that. It's frustrating. It sucks. You can't get excited at the draft, but you can't get excited for playoffs. Like, what is even the point of being one of those teams unless you think you're really close. And honestly, Calgary was really good, and they've gotten worse. So to me, they're further away. They're on a regression pattern, not a progression pattern. So I would be making moves.
1: Yep. I agree with that. I think they need to make some moves. So I guess that kind of wraps up Calgary. I don't know. Unless you've got anything else to say, we can move on to... Our dive on
0: Vancouver. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot. And I don't want to, like, I got Calgary fans that I love. So, I don't want to just tear them apart. I just understand what it's like to be that frustrated with your team. Yeah, I really, like, I look at Calgary. And Calgary's team
1: right now is reminding me of the Phil Castle era of the Leafs. To some degree.
0: that's That's literally what I was about to say. Like, there's lots of pieces on that team that if they were somewhere else, they could be effective. Uh, And that reminds me of, like, Gurboski when he was on the Leafs. Like, he was part of the best second line in the NHL for two years on the Leafs, but the Leafs didn't have a first line, and that made them irrelevant. But Gurboski could be remembered totally differently because I think he had some elite-level skill if he was on a team where they were relevant. All right, so
1: Vancouver. Jim Benning came out a couple of months ago now and said he needs two more years to make this team a championship contending team, like a Stanley Cup contending team. And when he said that, I got to say, I laughed, I thought he was an idiot. And now doing a deeper dive into the team and looking at the numbers and looking at some of the pieces they have, I gotta say, I think he's right. Um, I think this team is a couple of years and a couple of really solid, like a couple of smart moves away from potentially being a scary team in the league.
0: We're gonna have to disagree on that one entirely, but I thought they should have fired him the second he said that. Oh, yeah? Literally every anchor on that team. That is causing them problems, like their overinflated bottom six contracts uh, for guys that are not that effective. He signed them. He signed all the deals that are making them in trouble. It's not like it's the Oilers where somebody else was in there, made a bad bunch of bad deals, and you got to wait for those contracts to end. Okay, I'll give Jim you
1: that. Jim Manning.
0: Jim Benning signed Jay Beagle to a ridiculous contract. He signed their entire bottom six to like two million and two and a half million, three million dollar deals. And that's that's not how effective teams in the NHL are doing it right now. Like, if you're a high level team, you spend all your money in your top nine, uh, and your bottom six are affordable, effective players. And and he went a different way, and it doesn't look good right now. They have to re-sign Pedersen. Uh, they did re-sign Demko. Uh They have to re-sign Hughes. All of that money is tied up in their bottom six. And yeah. on a backup goalie who seems kind of irrelevant in Holpe, they might as well have just uh, shown the respect to Satcher Demco They thought he was going to be their guy. I don't know why they... They wavered on that and spent so much money for two years of Holby.
1: Yeah, I think they should have done, like, tried to get Holtby for one year. Or was Holtby a
0: trade or a free agency pickup? It was free agency, but honestly, I don't even know. Maybe even give him three years and you say, listen, bud, we both know you're not going to be as relevant that third year, so we're going to give you, you know, like three and a half, for four years instead of, I think he's making five in a bit right now. Uh, Four and a half. Yeah, for two years. Yeah. So, like, if you gave him three mil for four, I think he'd be in a better spot. He's going to be a backup goalie, but there's a lot of tandems in the league right now. Um, But, yeah, there's a lot of things in their bottom six that kind of scare me. I'm going to just pull it up here quick so that I can quote some of the names properly. but.
1: Yeah, I I do agree, like, those anchors, the Beagle contract, the Holtby contract, the um, Louis Erickson contract, those are garbage. (laughs) Those are really hard to get past. Um, But I think Pedersen and Hughes take bridge deals and get you past them and then get a payday. Because right now, the way Pedersen's played this year, If he were to try and get his payday right now, I don't think he's getting as much as he could get in two years, especially once that takes Beagle and Erickson off the table and Holtby.
0: Anton Roussel's a little bit overpaid. They've picked up guys from the Leafs, in VC and Travis Boyd, who are on affordable contracts, who have... Played some of their guys on inflated contracts out of the lineup. So, like, this is where I'm concerned about Benning. I actually, and he looked really good coming out of last year when that team meshed the right way. And now it's looking kind of concerning. If I was them, I would have moved on from Markstrom. I think I would have tried to keep Tanev uh, because of the chemistry that he had. Yeah, I think that it was a mistake letting him walk. So there's a lot of players on their team that I that I like the theory of that I don't know are going to be exactly what they're supposed to be. Like, I love uh, Hoglander, but they need him to continue to progress, and that's not always a guarantee. I no. love the thought of Jake Furtanen, but he's not the player that anyone expected him to be.
2: Yeah.
1: That this team does have a lot of anchors on it.
0: Yeah, that's where I'm worried is that there's guys um, uh, like Anton Roussel and like um, Jake Vertanen, and who's the guy I mentioned before that? Oh, Jay Beagle, who are getting paid and they don't carry much weight. Like, I'm not like, oh my God, we have to play Jay Beagle tonight or. Jake Vertanen is going to light the Leafs up. No, uh, if he, He's similar to Taylor Hall in my mind where if he played the way he's capable of playing based on his size and his high level ability, he'd be a great player but he doesn't do that so why even worry about it?
1: I think that the uh, the good part is that they're out from underneath those contracts after next season the The hard part is going to be that they have to re-sign almost their entire D core, except for Myers and Schmidt. But that gives an opportunity to give someone like Edler, who's right now making six million and is older, he's lost a step. Maybe you pay get him on a one million deal, a one point five over a couple more years, give him some longevity, right? because right now yep. he, he's on his career deal and he's getting to the end of his career. I think he's 33 or 34 now.
0: Well, and you're going to see Travis Hammonick stick around for the cheap money. Cause he wants to stay out West. Yep. Somehow uh, something's up with that. Uh, someone in his family, I think it might be his daughter has some sort of medical condition and he wants to be close-ish to home. Uh, so, Assuming Vancouver is willing to give him some money, he will stay. And he'll stay there for as long as he's a serviceable
1: player. Yeah. And he's on a 1.25 right now. So if even if they can re-sign him for that or a little more.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure he got that contract out of a PTO this year. So that's found money for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... Um, and I do like this Jalen Chatfield, uh, the little bits and pieces I've seen of him he plays a style that a lot of their defense don't play right now he's got a little bit of an edge uh he's willing to sacrifice the body so hopefully that can keep rolling and he can continue to progress to being a full-time NHLer.
1: yeah and i think that i'm like i'm wondering too if benning has a plan to get seattle to take one of the more expensive contracts 'Cause right now you can either do seven, three and one or eight and one to protect protect players and they can easily protect their core and leave all of those anchor players open and Seattle might bite on one of them. I could see Yeah, that it, like
0: t- Tyler Myers is even progressing into the anchor conversation for yeah. them. But that's a guy that Seattle
1: might look at his contract and go, Well, we might be able to work with him. We might be able to have,
0: yeah. Like, there's he's got the intangibles. Yeah. Former rookie of the year. Yeah. So I think that there's there's
1: opportunities for Benning to get out from under some of these contracts, and I mean worst case scenario, you waive them, and just try and give the money away. Um, the other
0: thing I I'd like to, to say quickly that I think is a huge missed opportunity for Vancouver, is I think the second that Quinn Hughes showed up with his offensive prowess, you should have moved Ole Ulevi for whatever you could get. They babied him and babied him, similar to the Leafs with Timothy Lilligren, saying that he had high offensive skills and he needed to take his time to develop so that he could be that player in the NHL. Yeah. And... He's getting to the age now where if he's not that player soon, it's over, and his value has diminished greatly. Like uh, That's a guy they maybe should have moved on from a little quicker because, like, you don't want a guy like him playing in your bottom six. And with Hughes and some of the other guys they have, I just don't see how he moves up in the lineup. So he's really just – he's kind of missed his chance in Vancouver. Yeah,
1: which is unfortunate for guys like that.
0: Oh, actually, I thought he was going to be, like, one of the premier offensive defensemen in the NHL when he came out of London. And he went out of London, he didn't finish his last year in junior, and he went over to Finland, and he had a good year. And then he came over to the A, and he had an all year, and I was like, this kid is going to be a stud. And now he's 25 or 24, and he's still kind of a fringe player.
1: Yeah, and once you get to that age, the opportunity for pro- progression gets a little lower. Like you kind of start to see what kind of player well, you have, right?
0: Even uh, like the only team that's willing to give him more opportunity is probably Vancouver themselves. Like no other team is going to go out and take on this project at one point. But 2 years ago, if you're a good team, maybe you're just like, oh, maybe Vancouver's horrible at managing this asset. Like, maybe we'll bring him in. But now it's more like, well, we have our own projects. Why would we go get Vancouver's? Yeah, that's, I, I think Vancouver
1: right now is in a bad place. But I see the potential for them to be in a good place two or three years from now as long as they can keep this core and this core keeps playing well. And they're able to bring in complimentary players once they get rid of these anchor contracts.
0: Yeah, they did get hurt too. They brought in uh, some nice players that I really did, did like, and uh, I forget who, who it is now, but he took a career ending injury. He used to play in Calgary, real kind of pain in the ass type guy. Michael Furland. Right. Right. So, like, he actually looked great for them when he was able to be in the lineup, but he could never stay in the lineup. He was running into that at the end of his time in Calgary. Vancouver took the risk. He, he didn't manage to stay healthy. I'm pretty sure he's done now. That's a guy who, when he was in the lineup, was a real impact player uh, offensively, physically, defensively, and unfortunately for Calgary – he just didn't have the long, or not for Calgary, for Vancouver. He just didn't have the longevity, and, and that's kind of left a hole in their lineup. If he's in their top six and Niels Hoglander is on their third line, then their team is a lot different.
1: Yeah, and he's a good character guy that's been around the league for a long time, and it's that that is hard to lose
0: a guy like that,
1: especially when yeah, your core you lose, is so you young. Got-
0: yeah, you lose, a, and he wasn't that old. I'm pretty sure he was 28 or 29. So you hope you have him for a couple more years, and you you like what he brings, because there's not a ton of players like that in the NHL right now. So yeah, that is a tough, go. and I think it does get overlooked a little bit. All right, and how about we round out the league with uh, Ottawa? Uh, do you want to start or you want me to start? Sure. I can, I can start.
1: I think All right. Ottawa, Ottawa is right where they need to be. Um, they moved out some older guys at the deadline. They got some more uh, draft picks. I think it was smart of Ottawa that they got mostly draft picks for next year, not this year um, because they've, They probably looked at the development path and went, well, players haven't been playing this year. Who knows what we're going to get? So let's look forward to the year after this year and um, try and get some some high draft picks there. They drafted a bunch in the last draft too, right? So a bunch of high draft picks in the last draft. I think that Ottawa is in decent shape. The hardest thing that they're going to have to do is – figure out how much to pay Brady Kachuk because he's been really an all-star for them this year and he's a UFA at the end of the year or maybe an RFA. Um, So he's going to want a payday, but I think if you're Ottawa, he's your star player, you give him that payday. And keep filling in the pieces around him. You've got a lot of young guys developing and I don't
0: think they're in a bad spot. If I'm Ottawa and I want to build a fan base that's stronger than one we've had previously, Chuchuk is the perfect person to be captain. Yep. I talked about this once already uh, with Monaghan that he had the opportunity to be that kind of player that Canadian fans love and embrace and respect and wear on the back of their jersey even if you're a 45 year old man brady chuck is that player and um those kind of players fill the seats and i think he's their captain Yeah. Uh, obviously timothy stutzel has a shot at that spot uh but you got to give him a little more time yeah i think he's also a little more quiet might be an all-right assistant captain let's have all the heat I think he can handle it which is big Canadian media you're gonna say it's Ottawa it's not as big of a deal but still Canadian media to Chuck we've seen him do the interviews he gets up there and he laughs and he says he's gonna play hockey to me that's the kind of guy you need perfect guy to bring in fans but also be able to handle the media pressure like you said Calgary's exactly where they need to be they have some really good players coming in uh, Jake Sanderson still going to be a little bit by the sound of it, but it's a great pick. They got two high picks in this last draft. Stutzel looks like he should have went second overall. They get him at three. Uh, Byfield still has time to change that narrative, obviously, but uh, Ottawa is, is looking really good, looking like they made some great decisions. I, I love DJ as their coach. He really embraces the kind of team they have and tries to coach them. Uh, the way they need to be coached to be successful. They're a young team, and they're managing to to play and to. They might not uh, they might not win all the time, but they're not getting blown out of the water every night. And uh, they're making other teams compete. And there's a lot of prospects pushing through the system, but these kids that got the NHL experience this year, they're learning fast and they might make it hard for other guys to push their way in.
1: Yeah, I think that they're they're a team that has, since bringing on some of these young guys, really started to build an identity. Because they, they really tore it down. They went through a few really rough years with, in Ottawa. where, And, I mean, they're still in that stage right now, but things are really looking up for them.
0: I love that they snagged
1: Victor Mete, too. Yeah. And I think he's he's another young, really skilled hockey player that is going to fit into this lineup well. I could see him really progressing there.
0: Yeah, to me, that's a no-lose situation for them. Yeah. Um, so why not give him a shot and see what happens? Yeah. I think like... The, uh, Nikita Zaitsev, Zub line, and it, it's actually been looking really good. It's part, been part of their little uh, resurgence, so... They have some players that have been... The The thing that I like about Ottawa is that they, the players they have around their young guys are guys who have been effective before, and they're giving them a chance to rebuild their game. Nikita Zaitsev, Dzingo, uh Dadnov, who was really effective in, in uh, Florida, but kind of got overshadowed because of how good of players he got to play with. They've yep. surrounded their guys with guys who can play at the NHL level and are looking to rebuild their own names, So they're also trying to get to where they can be with those other young guys. And I think that's going to be great for their culture. Everybody's trying to get back or get up to where they can be as an NHL player. Yeah. and It, like, it really looks like that team is just
1: having a whole lot of fun. <laughs> like that's, they're just going out playing hockey, goofing off. they're you see them laughing. They're, they're having a good time, and it's fun to watch players have fun.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, hundred percent agree with that. People uh, go on about James Reimer all the time and his little bit of time with the Leafs, but with all the goalie problems they had, you know, seeing that guy in there smiling. Loving being a Toronto Maple Leaf every night was pretty refreshing. And the Ottawa fans need that same thing. They've had a tough go. They lost Carlson. They lost Mark Stone. That team went to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they it's blown up. Yeah. And that must break your heart into a million pieces. So they need something to get excited about. And the culture and the vibe and the excitement and, like you said, the smiles and, and the energy – That's exactly what you need to inspire uh, your fan base, that there is a future. Yeah, I think that just about wraps up our
1: uh, trade deadline talk and what comes next for the bottom three talk, I guess, is what we'll call that one. So to end the podcast, we've got our second edition of Hauler Has Been. Today we're looking at three other players that – could go to the Hall of Fame, could go to the Hall of Really Good, or could be paying admission at the door just like every other average Joe. So we're gonna start off with a story that has been at the top of the headlines over the past week and really over the past month, with Patrick Marlowe beating Gordie Howe, or beating Gordie Howe's record with 1767 games played in the NHL. It's a huge record, really. Like, that's that's a lot of games played. But is that enough to get him into the Hall of Fame?
0: So, honestly, I, I did some flip-flopping on this, and I, we did a little bit of a discussion beforehand about where you're, you're going to end up. But my biggest thing was that he's a little bit of an accumulator. Uh, like, because of the amount of time he's been in the league, He's had, he's had a decent amount of stats, but like we just said, he's played more games than anybody else. So, so that, that has to kind of go into your consideration. But on the other hand, he's played on some really good teams. He's won Olympic medals with Canada, World Championship medals, World Junior medals. He's just he's one of those players. Uh, who have been good all the way through their career, second overall pick. And there there has to be something to be said about his ability to, you know, if I'm the coach at San Jose, every night I know that I can pencil Joe, er, <laughs> Joe Thornton, Patrick Miles' lineup, because I know that he's going to be ready to go. He's ready to go every night. So why would tonight be any different?
1: So what's your verdict then? Is he going to the hall or is he just in the hall of very good?
0: I'm trying to pull up a stat here real quick. Okay. All right, I almost lost it. But basically what I wanted to say was the consistency of Patrick Marlowe is just ridiculous. Not not only being in the lineup, but consistently putting up points, being a top 6 guy. Uh, he's been Widely renowned is one of the better skaters in the game. Even at his current age, he can still really get up and down the ice. And that's why I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I think he'll be a Hall of Famer uh, despite some of the haters being going on about you no know, Stanley Cups or uh, how many games he's played and how that kind of skews his stats compared to guys who weren't able to be that healthy you got to give the guy credit for being this healthy and you got to give him credit for the games he's been able to play. And he's always been a top nine, mostly top six player. He's played in the Olympics. He's represented Canada on many occasions. And we all know that the Canadian team is an all-star team filled with Hall of Famers. Uh, Not very often are you on the Canada team and you don't end up having a Hall of Fame career or, or pretty close to it. And with this record I think it's pretty easy to say that he's Hall of Famer. I think he could add to this record. I could easily see him playing another full eighty two next year, so if he wants to do it, I think he's gonna continue chasing it. And not all players are committed enough to stay this healthy for this long. So you gotta give the guy credit for what he's been able to do. Yep, I'm gonna agree with you
1: fully there. Uh he deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think anytime you're in any kind of conversation with Gordy Howe, you're obviously going to turn heads. And I think Patrick Marlowe deserves to turn heads based on his career. Are his stats quite up to par with some of the other guys in the Hall of Fame? Maybe not. He averages about 60 points a year when you break down every like his career. So, like, statistically, his play, he's not an unreal player. But, yeah, just the fact that he has the longevity to still be a good enough player that year after year they keep coming back and saying, yeah, you can still play. You're still value- of value to us. Um, I think that's, that, speaks for, that speaks to something, right? 1,767 games and still going. That deserves a Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you on can't top- sit there and say that those 60-point seasons aren't skewed by the guys that go out on top. What do you mean? Well, there's a lot of guys that aren't willing to do what Patrick Marlowe's willing to do. You know, that he's a third-liner now, and, and then he doesn't get to be the star, and he might not always get to be on the first power play. Some guys aren't willing to keep playing when that is over. Yeah, that's
1: true. I mean, you look at that Marlowe's last last four seasons, and he's a fifty point guy. Whereas earlier in his career, he was an eighty point guy. So, like, it, yeah. yeah, you're right. I see what you mean there. By- so, if
0: he if, if he ends it when he's a eighty point guy, does that make him more of a Hall of Famer to somebody? Because his averages are better, like, I, I think you, you're kidding yourself with that, if that's an argument that you, you try to, like, if you're using that as an argument against him going to the Hall of Fame, I, I think you're kind of reaching there a little bit, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that, no, that's true,
0: I had never even really
1: thought about it like that, too, I mean, I'm, I've put him in the Hall of Fame anyways, but, um. but yeah, no, that, I never thought about it in that sense of, like, Yeah, sure, he's an accumulator over the long term, but he's still, at one point in his career, put up similar numbers to
0: those guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Um, and a lot of those guys weren't willing to do what he's doing now or couldn't do what he's doing now. And to me, that deserves some respect, too. Yeah, and I think not
1: even just the fact that he's – played in the league for so long, but he also is fourth highest in the Ironman streak with 800, almost 900 games played nonstop, like without missing a game for anything. Um, and that's crazy. I can't even go to work like for three months straight without taking a sick day, just because I feel like not going to work for a day. Like, <laughs> that level of yeah and you figure what he's putting his body through every day yeah like it's it's unreal when you think about it as a job if you're going to a job every day you deal with a level of exhaustion just by going to work and he's going and skating
0: miles and miles every night basically so yeah I think he's... you can't say that he didn't play injured at some point too like I think you're crazy to think that oh absolutely I think he just he he just powered through yep,
1: so he's a guy that deserves his place, and I think he's earned his place in the Hall of Fame,
0: yeah, I think you're right. I hundred percent agree uh hopefully it's a little while till he gets inducted because he keeps playing,
1: yeah, yeah, I'll be surprised if he doesn't play next year.
0: Yeah, I would agree. All right. Like I was saying to somebody the other day, I think uh, he can play for the Sabres for five more years if they keep playing like this.
2: (laughs) Yep,
1: he probably could. And be on their second line. So we haven't talked about baseball in a little while, while, but we're well into the season now. The Jays have had a chance to play a little bit, but one guy that we haven't seen in the Jays lineup yet is George Springer. So George Springer has a career in the um, major leagues. He's obviously still got that cheating scandal hanging over his head, but do you think he's going to the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Very Good, or is he paying admission like you and I?
0: I think he's going to the Hall of Fame very good. I think that Major League Baseball and the Baseball Hall of Fame have shown over and over again that these scandals stop you from getting into the Hall of Fame, whether it's betting on the game or taking steroids. If they find out that you cheated or you did something they don't like, you're not a Hall of Famer. I think he's got the stats, and if he goes to Toronto and does what uh, Blue Jays fans think he could do, He's well on his way to being a Hall of Fame-level player, but the president just shows that there's no way that he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Maybe we'll see that change. Maybe uh, something will change and some steroid-era players will get in. Uh, Part of me thinks they should because for every high-level player that got caught, there were a gazillion players that didn't get caught, and those players had to play against other players doing steroids but with the president set right now in the baseball hall of fame it's really hard to see him get into cooperstown if if that's the thing they're going to take and they seem to be on their high horse with stuff like that so i'm pretty sure you're not going to see him get inducted into the hall of fame which is going to be a shame because i think Hall of Famers help this sport grow, no matter what sport. Yep. And if he went into the Hall of Fame wearing a Blue Jays hat, uh, there aren't very many of those, so that would be be huge. So it's going to be a missed opportunity. It would be cool to see him go in with a Blue Jays
1: hat, but I don't think he's going in regardless of the cheating scandal. I think he's a great player, but he doesn't have the pedigree to be a hall of famer even if he hadn't cheated or hadn't been part of that cheating scandal I don't want to say that he specifically cheated because I mean I guess he did but but the whole it was this whole systematic thing it wasn't just him but yeah I don't think that he has enough of a push right now anyway in his career to be in the hall of fame I think he's in the hall of very good so I mean he's he's won two Silver Slugger Awards and he's been a World Series MVP, which obviously that's not something just to, to shrug off and laugh at. Those are big accomplishments, but that's about all he's done. Like he hasn't been a league leader year over year in, in stats. He hasn't been
2: Yeah, oh, like he hasn't
1: he hasn't been the best player in major leagues ever, really, in his career. He's been a really good player, but I don't know if he has the stats right now to go to the Hall of Fame. That being said, if he comes into the Jays and the Jays are carried to a title or to a championship, then maybe that changes. Maybe he is eligible for the Hall of Fame. But I'd say as it stands right now, even without the traditional, the traditions dictating that cheating voids him from the hall of fame anyway. I don't think he would make it based on his stats, but he's definitely in the hall of very good.
0: Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, I think that the one thing that might get overlooked a little bit is he's not necessarily out of the prime of his career. Like assuming He gets healthy. He could have some of his best career years as a Blue Jay. That could change this conversation entirely. Definitely. But even then, then, I'm not really sure about the scandal and how that all works out. Uh, Obviously, everyone on that team had something to do with it. Like you said, it wasn't just him, but none of them spoke up and said this isn't right. And I don't think any of them would have wanted to have been on the teams that were playing against them. So I just, to me, it's a little bit slimy. I, like, I've never seen a team come out and say, hey, we're cheating. Uh, but honestly, I, I still kind of blows my mind that it happened. So I don't know where that all works out. But um, there's no cheating in Toronto. So hopefully he has a couple good years. And uh, maybe we can revisit this conversation in the future.
1: Yeah, uh, that's definitely true. Like, he's not at the end of his career yet. He still has a chance to make even more of an impact on the league. But I, I do think that regardless of how much of an impact he makes on the league, there will be that shadow over his name. And like you said, the Baseball, baseball Hall of Fame is all about traditions. None of the um, steroid players have gotten in. And I don't know if I see that, that changing anytime soon.
0: No, I like I said earlier, I'm a little on the fence about whether they shouldn't be let in because I think there were a lot of players who weren't good enough to get tested that were also on steroids, but they weren't the best of the best. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a sticky situation, and if baseball continues to stay on their high horse type uh, theory about it, then Springer doesn't have a chance.
1: Yeah, And I'll, I'll let you introduce our last hauler-has-been player for this week.
0: Alright, so our last Hall has been player for this week is Giannis. We already talked about him a little bit earlier in our MVP conversation. Honestly, this one really kind of put me in a weird position. But I'm going to say Hall of Famer- Uh, Like I was saying earlier, his game isn't super well-rounded, but if you can win an MVP without a well-rounded game, that really speaks to your ability of doing what you can do on the court. There have been a lot of players that were effective in only one area and have managed to be Hall of Famers. Uh, Shaq was unstoppable in the paint. Hall of Famer. I honestly think that's kind of Giannis's. Projection. I think there might be some people who say, you know, that he wasn't super well rounded and this and that. But once he got to his MVP level ish, he's been really consistent. Like he does what he does every year since he started to kind of understand the NBA. Like he gets his rebounds, he gets his points every night. And it doesn't look like it's slowing down. He's not on the best team in the world. So you can't say that his stats are in any way inflated at this point. And it doesn't look like he's about to slow down. So I think he's a lock to be a Hall of Famer. So he's a two
1: time MVP. He's the 2020 Defensive Player of the Year. He's a five time All Star, one time All Star MVP, and the 2017 A most improved player. But there's one thing he's missing, and that's a ring. I'm wondering if that will play against him. So for me, I'm gonna put him in the hall of very good. And I know I'm probably a dumbass saying that because I'm sure there's people in the Hall of Fame that don't have championship rings. But if I were to look at it right now, I've got him in the Hall of Very Good just because. He hasn't been able to to get to that next level and win a championship.
0: I think he's in his prime of his career right now. And if he's going to do it, it's probably sooner rather than later. But I got to disagree just because I think he's going to continue doing what he's doing for a long time. Uh he hasn't been super injured, obviously, knock on wood, because he's a great player to watch, so I want to continue watching him. Uh, and consistency is key, like we were saying with Marlowe. If he can be in the MVP conversation for another three or four years, you have a really hard time telling me that he's not a Hall of Famer. I, I don't think anyone's sitting there saying that Milwaukee should have won the championship, and it's Giannis's fault that they're not there. They're saying, oh my God, how irrelevant would Milwaukee be without Giannis? And I think that that's kind of got to go into the conversation, especially with all these super teams in the NBA right now. I, I'm not really surprised that a team with just Giannis can't manage to finally win an NBA championship. Well, and I'm also,
1: I'm also curious too, if like you said, with all the super teams in the league right now, if when push comes to shove, if that's not going to overshadow Giannis, um, because when people are looking at inducting people into the Hall of Fame, Giannis will be probably inducted around the same time or eligible around the same time as KD, as LeBron, as um, Steph Curry, as all these other big names that have won championships and have played on these super teams and legacy teams that have just owned the owned the sport for years. Like, look at Golden State for a few years there. We're just unreal and totally unbeatable. And I think that the, the fact that Giannis is on a bad team that probably unless they make some big changes, isn't ever going to win a championship, might make him overshadowed by these other players.
0: Yeah, I could agree with that. I, I'm i just a little bit worried on the opposite end, that, like, is Kevin Durant not a Hall of Famer because he's only been on teams with really good players? Like, to me, there's more of an argument for that than there is yeah. that Giannis isn't one because he's never had a really good player. Like, Kevin Durant goes and plays in OKC with Harden and Westbrook, and then they can't win, so he goes to Golden State, and he wins. And now he's in Brooklyn with Harden and Kyrie. To me, there's more of an argument that you can't be effective without other high-level players than there is that you are effective but you're not effective enough because you don't have enough support. But to that point, even when he was with those
1: teams, he still put up good numbers. He just didn't have the support around him, and that's similar to where Giannis is right now, where he's still putting up crazy numbers, but
0: Drew Holiday and... um, yeah, but Drew Holiday is not on the same level as a Russell Westbrook or a James Harden. No.
1: No, that no, and that, and that's what I'm saying is that, um, when KD was playing with them, even though the teams didn't win, KD still put up good numbers, right?
0: Yeah, but Giannis isn't. We're talking about Giannis being a possible three-time MVP in a row. So it's not like he's not putting up the numbers and he doesn't have the support. No, and that that's what KD, I'm saying is that K D like, was in the MVP conversation one time because he managed to play one full year without getting injured. Like K D could maybe be the best player in the, the league if he could stay healthy, but he can't. Giannis is healthy every night. That's and true. he can't even shoot a three pointer and he has more points than most people. Yeah. Like, you can't shoot a three-pointer. Like, Steph Curry only shoots three-pointers. Like, not only, I guess, but like... But mostly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, this is like he's getting one extra point for every shot that they both... If they both take the same amount of shots, Steph Curry gets one extra point every time, but they average fairly similar, and Giannis is only getting twos every single time. Yeah. Like in twos where you got to do way more work to get a point in the paint over somebody's head than you do standing at the top of the three-point line. Like he's just – he's a freak athlete and I, I just – I don't know. Yeah. I want to see him not in Milwaukee. Like I did want to see oh, him in God, Toronto yeah. for obvious reasons. But I want to see him not in Milwaukee just so that the whole NBA goes, holy shit, look at this guy.
1: Yeah. I, and I, but that's I don't know if he's gonna get a chance to not be in Milwaukee until he's past his prime.
0: That's that's true. But although we're I seeing we're he, seeing
1: KD still play, and he's arguably past his prime now, but he's still on a super team and well, need, showing that the prime need, yeah the traditional prime number isn't necessarily yeah a hard superstars, line.
0: Superstars, right? Their prime lasts longer than everybody else's.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like Yager, and I think Giannis, Giannis is a superstar. There's no question about that. He is a superstar player. He's just not going to have...
0: I think Giannis could be a superstar in any sport he wanted. Like, maybe not baseball, because that's a pretty niche one, but, like, can you imagine that guy as, like, a tight end or a wide receiver? I'm put him on skates. <laughs> let him let yeah. him play hockey, yeah. see how he does. Yeah. Chara. Make Chara look short. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think realistically, when push comes to shove, Giannis is going to go to the Hall of Fame. But for sake of argument, I'm putting him in the Hall of Good, Hall of Very Good.
0: And and like uh, like he's young enough right now that that we're not going to know for a while, anyways. Uh, like like yeah. I said, if he keeps doing what he's doing, he's a Hall of Famer. But you could say that about a lot of guys. That's if I they forget. just kept doing. If they kept doing what they were doing, they could have been all of famer, but they didn't keep doing what they were doing, so they're not.
1: Yeah, and that's I forget sometimes that Giannis is only what twenty six. Yeah, like he's still twenty
0: six, and he didn't really know that much about basketball when he started playing it. Yeah, like the guy's basketball IQ, even though his athleticism might go down, his basketball IQ is gonna grow exponentially well, he's in the NBA, which not everybody does. Like you're seeing that with with, uh, Toronto and Chris Boucher because he started playing basketball so late that even though he's an older prospect, he's still getting better and better every night because he didn't have the basketball experience, and that's something you can still get.
1: Yeah, definitely. All right, I guess that wraps up Holler Has Been. Um why don't we end
0: our show on our players of the week? So I actually have Dustin Nakarski for this week. Um, we've seen him be an NHL goalie uh, a couple different times, and he just seems to be one of those fringe guys. He can't manage to stay, but every once in a while he'll come up and you'll be really hot. And he's come up and he's two one and one with the Sabers. He's made 128 saves on. Her- 37 shots he was uh the nhl player of the week last week um honestly i i have a soft spot for these guys where they just can't seem to carve out a full-time spot in the nhl but when they get their opportunities they always seem to seize them uh there's just there must be something going on with the guy that that we don't know about he played really well for the haves for a little bit he just seems to always be in systems that are really deep and never gets His opportunity to be the guy, he's always been a good goalie. He was a good goalie in junior. Uh, If I remember correctly, he played for Team Canada in the World Juniors. So he's just one of those players. Uh, It's difficult for a goalie. There's only 31 teams, and there's only two spots. And not every guy is built to be a backup. Some guys are better as AHL starters playing every night um so you got to give the guy credit the sabers have been taking a lot of heat all year about being bad he comes up he goes 2 one and one he makes a lot of saves uh as a journeyman you got to be happy for the guys so that's why he's my player of the week
2: yeah
1: and i mean it's a perfect opportunity for him to come in and show what he's got now with the sabers because depth doesn't matter they're already out of the playoffs they can let these guys come in and just play some
0: hockey yeah, exactly. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Alright, my player of the week
1: is I'm going with uh, Andrew Wiggins. He just played or just got his 10,000th career point. He's only the second Canadian to ever do that behind Steve Nash. And I think that's a, a huge accomplishment for him. And he managed to do it in four less seasons than it took Steve, Steve Nash to get to 10,000. So, good on him and that's a, it's a big accomplishment and
0: proud Canadian. Yeah, you gotta love it when Canadians are successful, and especially in a non-traditional Canadian sport. Uh, Andrew Wiggins has had kind of an up and down career. There was a lot of hype around him and he's never really found a spot where he was super comfortable and he seems to be uh, fairly comfortable in Golden State. If they get healthy, um, I think you'll hear a lot more about him. And uh, guys in basketball uh, that have made it as long as he have tend to have decent-length careers, so he's only uh, going to go up from here. So congrats to him. That's a big milestone. Doing something only Nash has done as far as the Canadian basketball players is a huge accomplishment.
1: Yeah, and I remember he, when he got drafted, I think I was in – high school and I guarantee that he's been an inspiration to other Canadians. So hopefully there'll be more um Canadian players getting hitting that ten thousand point mark because that's that's huge.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a lot of good young Canadian players coming through right now. So I think uh we're probably gonna see more of that Uh, Coming down, I really like RJ Barrett, and uh, obviously there's lots of good Canadians right now, so uh, that's exciting, and hopefully it continues to uh, progress as far as Canadian basketball. All right, thanks for listening to
1: episode 11 of the Fanalists. Took a big break, but we're back. Hopefully we'll be. Back to the, our weekly routine again. Hope you enjoyed the show. Um, yeah, make sure you give us a follow on all of our social media. It's uh on Twitter, at the Fandalist Podcast on Instagram, and maybe? Hang on, now I gotta check. Shit, it's been too long. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're at the Fanalyst Podcast on Twitter, or at, fuck, <laughs> at the Fanalist Podcast on Instagram, and at the Fanalist Podcast on YouTube, I think. <laughs> Give us a follow. <laughs> Hope you enjoy the content, and keep coming back for more. Yeah, see you guys next week.